Welcome everybody to Jerome and Kevin present. I am the Kevin in that equation, Kevin Ford, and, we, and Jerome is on the other line, Jerome Cuson. He's the Jerome in that equation. And today we are covering series one of the HBO dark comedy, Barry. Jerome, how's it going today? Series one? What are we? Are we in the UK now? We're calling them series and not seasons? Uh, I think my brain was elsewhere. So yes, season one of Barry, the television, the HBO series. I think that's where my brain was going, but yes. So all that aside, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, besides putting Kevin on blast right away at the start of the podcast. But when you've been doing podcasting for 11 years, would you expect anything more? Certainly nothing less. <laughs> take that take that for what you will. So yes, we're in a holding pattern here until Better Call Saul Season 6 comes out. So we've been discussing some fun things to kind of tackle, hence why this Kevin and Jerome present series has come out. It's kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily warrant its own category on EnterTheRealWorld.com, but uh, just other stuff we kind of want to talk about in the meantime as we're as we're waiting for that. And Barry was a show I know we both watched and enjoyed when it came out, and it's interesting to do this because in my mind it almost feels like the reverse Breaking Bad. And that show you have this meek high school teacher who's fed up and breaks bad here you have someone who's an assassin who wants to go and have a normal life so i think this is kind of a fun show for us to discuss in the meantime this is definitely a show that i wanted to discuss for the reasons that you just mentioned because it is kind of a reverse breaking bad and it plays with uh some of those tropes and whatnot so i think it also has a little bit of dexter in its dna for uh, mostly for better for right now. Hopefully he doesn't end up as a lumberjack, although they do go into the woods at the end of season one. Uh, so hopefully that is not a sign of things to come. But uh, Barry is a really fascinating show just because it is both a comedy and a drama. And it is kind of both of those things equally. Um, and they do play into the dark comedy aspect of it as well. I really like this show. And part of the reason that I, I like this show is because of the way that it tells its stories, the fact that they have half-hour episodes instead of uh, full-hour episodes, just the economy of the storytelling, and the fact that they do such a good job of mixing comedy and drama. Um, that's that's generally what I prefer um, in my television viewing is it, it, it can be very hard for me to get into straight comedies, but if you give me something like this, this is a lot. This is something I can sink, sink my teeth into. I agree. And I think, you know, sometimes you talk about how Breaking Bad, they're going to give you those moments of levity because otherwise it can be just such a heavy burden to watch so much drama without anything to kind of cut the drama. Uh, and, and here there's plenty of those moments, which we'll talk about. But I want to know, how did you first hear about the show? Uh, this is one of those shows that I was kind of keeping tabs on just because I was um, very much into the idea of the show. So. I, I may have even started like reading about it even before a trailer came out, but definitely when I saw a trailer for it, that's definitely it's definitely a show that that interested me uh, because of the presence of Bill Hader and because of the concept of oh, it's this assassin trying to break good, uh, so to speak. And I mean, you've got I mean, just we can run down. Um, we're going to run down the cast, but you know, any show where you have a, a Stephen Root, a Harry Winkler, like you bring those people on and i am going to be much more interested uh in your television shows so i'm very very 
I, I was very satisfied with the with the concept of the show, and then sitting down to watch it, you know, just excited to see uh, what they would kind of bring to the table. Because as much as there are no event, quote unquote, television. A series anymore. I feel like HBO on Sunday nights still has a certain level of prestige to it that the shows that are programmed that night are ones uh, that you are going to watch. So, um, Barry, <laughs> it's funny to think that Barry was slotted behind the last season of Game of Thrones. Uh, the second season. We we might get into that a little bit when we talk about season two. So it's just fascinating to think of where, where the show is placed. But it's a really engaging and fun show. But it's also dark and a little hard to watch sometimes. It's everything, Kevin. That's what it is. I w- yeah, I was going to say, <clears throat> in terms of it being hard to watch, you know, I heard about it on social media and stuff. And I'm always a bit of a sucker for when I see someone who's known for their comedy stuff become a leading role in a more serious role. But I knew this still had its comedy roots to it. Like you said, the cast was very appealing and watching, you know, the, the trailer, the bits that they put out about it made it seem very, very interesting. And my girlfriend wanted to watch it. So we'd never watched it Sunday nights, but a lot of times it'd be like Monday or Tuesday evening. We we'd have dinner and watch that or, you know, um, something else. And yeah, it's some, sometimes that was a bad choice when it was very hard to watch, but in general, even the hard to watch stuff is either preceded by something really funny or or followed up by something really funny. So yeah, it's it's a really well balanced show in that respect. And I I had watched both seasons and I kind and I'd really dragged my feet on getting started here to watch the season here. But once I started, it was really hard to stop. I feel like the the cliffhanger endings were really compelling and maybe you just want to see what came next and, and maybe very excited what what what's coming next and i think i didn't really think about it this way but i think you're right in that hbo around this time we had gotten so used to the full season drops on your netflixes and whatnot of shows that television like appointment television was kind of going away but hbo and then really disney plus have both made it where you wait for the weekly drop of the new Star Wars show or the new Marvel show and HBO, the same thing, like you said, was Sunday nights. It was at the time Game of Thrones and then it was Barry and now even like John Oliver's show, even for a lot of people is appointment television still. So it seems like we're getting back into that uh, that area. And I think the cliffhangers are so strong in Barry at the end of the episode. I can see why people would want to keep coming back week after week and make it appointment television. Yeah, I like the idea of kind of mixing it up sometimes. I think there are some shows where I think the binge model is is a hugely positive thing. On the other hand, I think that for the most part, I think the most successful shows are the ones that have the weekly releases so that you can get into having conversations about the show um, that are not just like what happened at the end of a season, like what happened in individual episodes. So I certainly think there is a balance that can be struck, but I, I really do like the fact that um, we are getting back to the weekly release. I, I generally think it's it's much better, especially for dramas and even this show, which is not a full drama, but even a show like this, I think it works better um, as a weekly release because there is kind of this mystery element. There's kind of this dramatic element to it. So I really appreciate what the show uh, was trying to do as far as kind of mixing up the genres pretty well, because this is, this is not easy to do. Like this is a show that could very easily in the wrong hands have just completely fallen on its face. 
Well, you talk about the show being in the right hands and stuff, and I got to be honest. I was looking at Alec Berg, who's one of the co-creators of the show. It's himself and Bill Hader. And his early stuff where he wrote some screenplays really made me cringe. I'm glad I didn't know that he was involved with, like, The Cat in the Hat, The Dictator, and Eurotrip we disagree on. I love Eurotrip and you don't. But anyways – not I don't this, hate not- Euro. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you, Kevin. Okay, I don't hate Euro Trip, and in fact, I would argue that one of the most iconic scenes, one of the more iconic and underrated comedy scenes that we've ever seen is Scott is Matt Damon singing Scotty doesn't know. And Matt Damon now has a reputation for great cameos. Mm-hmm. Despite all that, I still think that is his best cameo. And Scotty doesn't know is a great song and it should still be in the lexicon today. <laughs> uh, okay, great. I'm, I'm glad you liked it more than I, than I remembered, but not a, not a great start for Alec Berg, just in terms of critical acclaim, I should say, but then things got pretty good and he got a, a really good relationship with HBO. He was an executive producer for both Curb Your Enthusiasm and Silicon Valley and in 2016 signed an overall deal with HBO. So he's in the HBO family. Bill Hader and him came up with this show. That's where Barry comes from. And I want to ask you, my guess would be Saturday Night Live, but when did you first see Bill Hader? So I guess this is the part where I have to talk about Saturday Night Live because I generally – am not a fan of Saturday Night Live. And it's not, oh, this cast sucks or this this particular group of people is bad because I generally think that a lot of the people who do end up on SNL are very talented. And if I, if I like their work, it's going to be things that are outside of the purview of SNL. I just think that we've reached a point with that show. It's, it's very WWE-like in that it's just become so, self-re- so self-referential and it has just become such a ubiquitous thing that I, I don't think that it can function anymore in a, in a really good way. And I ultimately think like the best showcase of the of the talent comes from these outside projects. So did I see Bill Hader on SNL? Yeah. But other than Stefan on Weekend Update, are there a lot of Bill Hader memorable characters? Because I, I feel like, am I missing out on not watching more Bill Hader on SNL? Because I feel like, even though he was on that show for eight years, I more closely associate Bill Hader with things that are not SNL. He had, my favorite character of his is Herb Welch, the interviewer during the new show. Who was like kind of like a like a parody of your classic veteran news reporter? That was my favorite character of his. But yeah, I think Stefan is definitely what he would be best well known for in SNL. And you know, he had a he had a healthy stint. And he was on it from 2005 to 2013, so he was there for a while. Um, but I think you're right. I, I think he's been one of those SNL success stories, and and not to say there aren't a lot of them, but he's somebody who his life after SNL has been really healthy. Um, and he's gotten a lot of of, of critical acclaim, and it's, it generally seems to be really well thought of in the industry and by audiences and all that business. So, uh, and even at the time, I can't remember if the first time I saw him would have been SNL or it might have been his bit role in Knocked Up, where he's playing like the producer of E, who's like editing the show, and he's like. Uh, what's her name? Catherine Heigl, like either pukes on air or does something. And he's like, you look like Jabba the Hutt in, in, uh, in Return of the Jedi and does like this really hilarious impression of him. That I think was like maybe my first thing I saw of him. But yeah, See, a lot of I stuff remember him in uh, he was the cop in Superbad. And that's probably yes. what I 
first remember him most as which and, which I which did come after Knocked Up, I believe. But yeah, he that and he had a that was a much bigger character than his small role in in Knocked Up for sure. Yeah. And uh, certainly those those movies have have achieved a certain level of popularity. And I think the first time that I really saw Bill Hader like as an actor, not just as a comedian, which, you know, I think so the movie Trainwreck written by Amy Schumer. And I certainly have very mixed feelings about Amy Schumer now compared to even when I first uh, saw Trainwreck in 2015. But the thing that struck me so much about Trainwreck is that while Amy Schumer did a great job of writing the script, and I think she was really good in that movie, what impressed me so much about Trainwreck is Bill Hader's performance, because if you watch the majority of that movie, Bill Hader is acting against LeBron James, who had never acted before and is a basketball player. Yes. And he's acting against Amy Schumer, who has never done a movie before. So the thing that I walked away with Trainwreck, it really impressed by, was just Bill Hader as a performer as an, as, and as an actor, both comedically and playing a romantic lead, which is not an easy thing to do. So I remember being just very impressed by him there. And I, I, I am a firm believer in there is never going to be another Tom Hanks, but Bill Hader gives off a lot of those vibes. And I think he plays into that a lot on Barry. I saw Trainwreck in a second run theater around that time too. And yes, he was tremendous in that movie. One of the, one of the better parts of it, I think. So yeah, and that, that's a really, that I'd never even kind of considered like that kind of being like a pivotal point from moving into more, I mean, it's a comedy, but he plays pretty straight in that movie. So I guess you could see like the, the, the beginnings of that for him. And this would have been still been post SNL. And I think, you know, he'd gone and done documentary now and stuff after that. But yeah, that that is sort of like almost like the origin sort of Bill Hader as the more straight man in these in these comedy shows. And like you said, and like we've talked about, Barry sort of plays both sides of that coin. But and, it, you know, the fact that he's writing on this, too, and he had written before as well, but I think really shows just how smart he is. I mean, if you're watching on HBO Max, you know, they have these kind of like peek inside the shows afterwards with him and Berg. And you could see like they're they're really smart and they think a lot about the scenes and the characters and stuff. So the show is certainly in good hands. And uh, I guess we, we've we've talked enough about the precept. I think it's time to get into the actual show itself. So we'll and we'll go through the cast. So we kind of break things down here. But episode one, we start with Barry Berkman, played by Bill Hader. He's a hitman from Cleveland. And you can see like he's really either over this job or it brings him no joy. It's, it's like this kind of like he's an ex Marine. So he has this really, he's a great hitman. He has incredible, incredible tactical precision and things like this. But this life of him being a hitman, making a bunch of money brings him absolutely no joy. Like the way he's, he's portrayed as like falling asleep on the plane. Like not only is it not affecting him, but like he's so over this job that like, to many people, obviously, seems like this crazy espionage lifestyle. He, it's just not for him. So what makes this character so fascinating and so interesting is that, like, right from the start, this this pilot, I mean, this is just one of the best pilots that I've ever seen, just because of the way that it introduces the characters and whatnot. And that's something that I, I really like. I like the fact that um, this character is... <laughs> He's so tired, Kevin, and I feel like I feel like especially watching this now, you just you feel like every time I see a character that looks tired, I just feel it so much more now. 
Yes. Because it's like, I'm like, you know what? I could, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Like, just dead eyes. <laughs> it's just, I mean, just what a great setup. And I have forgotten that Bill Hader had directed the pilot, which, I, I mean, just writing, directing, and starring in your own show, that's got to be just one of the most difficult things um, that one person can do. And, like, the, the, it's wild to me that not only did he write and star, but directing, I mean, directing takes a lot of your energy because there's a lot of pre-production work and then uh, the edits. So he is fully invested in this show. Oh, 100%. Like, this is definitely a, a big pet project of his. Like, it has his name all over it, not just as the lead, but like you said, everything behind the scenes, writing, directing, what have you. So uh, I that, I think, also explains why it's so good, because he obviously thought so highly of it and wanted to kind of make it as his mission to make this show something really special. So in the show, his partner is Monroe Fuchs, played by the wonderful Stephen Root. They're He's like a family friend. He was friends of his father in in the in the military, and his father passed, and so he's kind of taken upon himself to take care of Barry. In this relationship, he's the person who talks to the client, sets up the jobs, gives Barry the mission. Barry executes the mission. Fuchs gets the money. They split it, and they move on to the next mission. So he's sort of handling all the the business and the back at, back at, you know back half stuff, and he's just like kind of this like. I don't know how to describe him as like happy go lucky or whatever, but he's certainly this very interesting character and he kind of plays kind of both sides of both really caring about Barry, but also trying to snap him back to reality when Barry starts to get wanderlust away from this job. Stephen Root is one of those ubiquitous actors that you have seen in so many movies and TV shows at this point that like <laughs> it's almost just, I mean, if you look at his IMDb, it's just, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. I think I think people probably think about him in terms of office space the most, but this is a person who, of course, has just been around for so long at this point. I feel like he's been a million fathers and a million different like TV shows and uh, comedy movies and things like that. Lots of voice acting too. Yeah, I mean, he's just been he has been a presence of everywhere, and it's um. This is a really good, like, I'm not going to say it's the end of his career, but it's certainly, I think, for him and for somebody else who we're going to talk about, um, this is like a really good cap to a really long and successful career. Absolutely. And at this time, he he realizes Barry's being depressed. I guess he's been sent to a lot of jobs in, like, cold and remote places. So he gets him a job in Los Angeles, and he thinks maybe a change of scenery somewhere sunny and warmer will, will, will be good for his soul, so to speak. And what so he's got this job where uh, there's the Chechenian mafia and Los Angeles who's really trying to separate their business uh, from their personal matters. And so there's somebody they need to assassinate. And so they hire Barry to do it on their behalf to try to keep that separation. And the two people in the Chechenian mafia we see the most are Goran Pazar, Pazer, uh, played by Glenn Fischler. He's the leader of the Chechenian mafia, but the real star of the Chechenian mafia and really somebody who steals – so many scenes and is probably, I think, a favorite for most people watching the show is Hank, played by Anthony Kerrigan. He's the right-hand man of Goran, and he's the one who's kind of assigning to Barry, and he's just so hilarious in the in the rest of the show. His text messages, exchanges, those those should be saved for posterity. They're so absolutely wonderful. But 
you know, just putting it out here. Hank Anthony Kerrigan is somebody I didn't really know because I don't. I know he's had a couple roles in some TV shows, like even some uh, some DC shows, but just a lot of stuff I didn't watch. So this is my first chance to get to see him, and and for me, he was like the discovered gem of Barry in general. So I think that Anthony Kerrigan is very much kind of the underrated piece of this show because I think when you're making the secret sauce of what makes Barry successful, I think you've got, you've got your known quantities. You've got your Bill Haters, you got your Steven Roots, you got your Henry Wrinklers, but then you've got kind of these, um, you've got these other unknowns. And I would consider Glenn Fischler to be part of that, even though he's a character actor, he's been in a number of, of movies and shows as well. But I think the person who steals it is, is Anthony Kerrigan. And I think we could just do an entire podcast episode where we just cite quotes from NoHo Hank and just make ourselves laugh for an hour. That's what we could do. And it's amazing to me that he is so good in this show. I'm convinced that it's the reason that he got to play the robot in Bill and Ted's, uh, the Bill and Ted sequel that came out last year, um, because he also steals that movie too. And when you consider the fact that it's the third Bill and Ted movie and you think about the other actors that are in it, the fact that he is able to steal that is is just so impressive. Anthony Kerrigan is great. My, I, I do have some concerns, which we could talk about next week, but his presence in season one and season two are a delight. Most definitely a huge highlight, someone who I always look forward to seeing, even when I was uh, telling my girlfriend, like, oh, I'm rewatching Barry. She like Hank was the first thing that came to her mind and how much she loved watching him in the show. So what so Hank is pretty much the one who's giving the assignments and their assignment is to murder a man named Ryan Madison, who works at a gym. And they've discovered that he has been having an affair with uh, Goron's wife. So that's Barry's assignment to go and, and kill Ryan. And Barry's following him, and he follows Ryan after work at the gym to a local theater. And it's there when he gets to meet two of the main people from the theater. He meets Sally Reed, who is giving a scene at the time, played by Sarah Goldberg. She's an aspiring actress in the class who relocated from Missouri. And then the acting coach who leads the the class, Gene Cousinow, played by the wonderful, remarkable Henry Winkler. And Barry is really taken aback when he sees the emotions that Gene is able to get get out of Sally. And the way I took this is that Barry's a really kind of like emotionless husk of a human being. He goes, he kills, he goes home, and like that's that. Like that's his life. And I'm sure for a lot of people being in the military and all this other stuff, like there, there's just so much like emotional damage and, and all this stuff that you take that's hard to process. And for somebody who just kills for a living, there's got to be a lot of things you got to turn off in your body emotions-wise to be able to go through with that job. But I think there's something that he really likes seeing about Gene being able to wake up these emotions and Sally to get the best out of her in her acting scene that really appeals to him. And I think obviously he thinks Sally's very attractive and he's just like entering this world that is so new to him. And it's like it's it's almost like when the Wizard of Oz turns to color. That's the way I kind of took it as he's looking on and just sort of like absorbing all this. And it only gets, you know, more into his his blood when. Ryan kind of pulls him up to do a, an acting scene with him on the stage and all this other stuff. But yeah, it was, it was so interesting to see that, that like the theater was the choice they made for Barry to kind of see a new life for himself. Again, I think the pilot is great. And in that first episode, just the way that we are introduced to them and the fact that we see Sally kind of bombing uh, her, her 
her scene and just the way that Jean talks to her. It's it's a great introduction and you learn so much about who she is and her insecurities and who he is as kind of this this sage of wisdom and I I really just love the way that they explore um, these characters right from the start. And I think this is one of those situations where part of why this works is I'm sure that Bill Hader has based at least some of this experience on either people he's known or, or people he's been around because this, I I have to imagine that this, if not a one for one, that a lot of what you're seeing here with these actors and even with Gene, this is probably reflective of a lot of the culture that exists in Los Angeles. And it's one of the reasons that I could never live in Los Angeles because there is just so much hunger for success um, which also leads to a certain amount of shallowness as well. I think that as as a character, I, f- I find Sally sometimes to be uh, a little bit on the shallow side and, and kind of missing the bigger picture. But I think that it also leads to comedy, which this is a comedy, so I think it plays off a lot better uh, for those reasons. But Sally and Jean are very much a part of that Los Angeles culture in two different ways. And I think that perhaps they have a little bit more self-importance whereas barry barry is kind of a big deal in his own way because of what he's done and in a way like acting as kind of a, a relief for him whereas gene and sally very clearly feel a lot of pressure to uh get bigger roles and get commercials and movies and television whereas barry like this is this is a vacation for him like this is a this is unloading some of the stress. That's the big thing I love about this is it really is such a great personification of how the act, the the aspiring actor life in LA is every single person on the team, except for Sally has day jobs and Sally, like she doesn't have a day job, but we see like later she's working as like a princess at a birthday party. And like Jean in this class is a God to all these people. And he's obviously a very good acting coach but then later in the episode, you see he's auditioning for like man in the back of the line for a, like a TV show. And it's so clear he's not going to get it. So it's like in his in his world where he's the, the acting coach and everyone like when he comes on stage, the entire class stands up and applauds him. And he has this book that everyone covets and all this other stuff. But then you take him out of the classroom and he's really nothing. It's so it's so interesting to see like how this microcosm of this theater and the world inside of that. And then when you take everybody outside the reality of the situation, it's a, such an interesting portrayal of everybody in this. And I have to imagine because Bill haters on this and, and there's input from other people, of course, like there's a lot of honesty in how this is how acting goes in real life. Definitely. Yeah. I also think it is worth uh, mentioning just a couple of these supporting players because we've talked about, we've either talked about these people in other shows or I just think it's worth um, mentioning. One of the theories that I had, Kevin, is so there is a, there is an actor from The Good Place, two actors from The Good Place, yes, uh, who are on this show. And uh, I just wanted to briefly mention them. So Darcy Carden, of course, play janet the fact she didn't get an emmy for playing janet is is highway robbery crime one of the theories that i had kevin is i thought i thought sally was going to die at the end of 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 season one and that darcy carden's character was going to get a lot more to do in season two 
Uh, obviously, that that did not come to fruition, but uh, she's just a small part of the show. I really hope there's a way to get her more of a prominent role. And the other actor that I want to mention is Kirby Howell Baptiste, who plays Sasha. Uh, she has gone on to be not only in The Good Place, but in the fourth season of Veronica Mars as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's great. And I and it's so funny because I saw her and I was like, I 100% recognize this actress. Why do I know her? Then I remembered Good Place. I did not remember Veronica Mars. I also think she might have been in something else I watched, like a Hulu series or something, but I'd have to look her up again. But yeah, Darcy Carden rules. Uh, and I know after The Good Place, like the first or second season, she also did like an episode of Veep. So she was already kind of in the HBO world too to get her into into Barry and she she plays such a different role from from Janet in The Good Place and she's great in all the little scenes she has as kind of like being like not not like a suck up to Sally but she's definitely not somebody who's going to uh, until later in the show when they start doing the Shakespeare play she's somebody who kind of just bends to whatever Sally wants to do. She Sally's a pretty commanding presence in the class, you can tell. Like people kind of bend to her whim when it comes to like where they're going for drinks or what they're doing for this and that. Um and it is actually over drinks where Barry gets a lot of praise for his I don't even want to say stilted acting, his non-acting that he does with Ryan. And this really thinks like, oh, maybe I have a future in this and this can get me out of my funk and he becomes enamored with Sally at the same time. And Fuchs, you know, tries to talk him out of it. And then you get a great scene at the end where Barry goes to Gene and talks about if he really thinks he has a future. And Gene, of course, is very honest in saying no. And Barry pours his heart out talking about his life as a hitman and this and that. And Gene thinks he's doing a monologue. But no, it's just him really pouring his heart out here. And he says, OK, you can join my class, although he's very clear he has to pay for advance. And Ryan suggests that he maybe gets a new stage name, and so Barry Block is the name he's going to go by. So by the end of this episode, Barry's decided he's going to stay in Los Angeles, I guess. But you know, once he does this hit, there's really no reason for him to stay behind. So that kind of becomes the challenge of the show, so to speak, is like how are we going to get all these characters to stay in L.A.? And they, and they end up doing a great job. What did you think of this monologue scene with Gene? It's a, it's a great Bill Hader acting moment, and – Something that I always deeply admire is just how hard it has to be to fake being a bad actor. Like Bill Hader's a really good actor, just objectively. You see it even in the first episode. So to see him have to pretend to not be a good actor is actually really impressive. And the other thing that impresses me so much is the way that Bill Hader allows for other uh, people in the scene to kind of control the scene. That's something that I noticed throughout the season is that even though he is purportedly the lead, he's the writer, he's the director, it feels like in a lot of cases he is kind of observing slash reacting so that when he has a scene like you see at the end of episode one, I'm also thinking of the scene with Chris at the uh, in the middle of episode seven. Like it, uh, it really stands out. And I, uh, I really like the monologue, of course. And the inciting incident. So just a big fan of this uh, of this first episode all around. Yeah, and it ends with kind of something that's going to carry us through the rest of the series where Barry decides, like, all right, I'm just going to get this over with and kill Ryan despite their bonding and whatnot. And when he gets to his truck, he discovers he's already been shot and he sees that the Chechenian mafia has been following them. And, I, and the Chechenian mafia, especially Hank, kind of gets thrown off because they see Barry and him hugging at some point, like as like a good night 
kind of hug and they're just like, what the, what the F? They literally say that. So they kill Ryan and they're ready to kill Barry too. And then Barry instead kills all of them except for Hank who gets away. Hank's a gadget guy and there's a lipstick camera on their dashboard that filmed everything, which becomes important later. And that's how episode one ends. And then as they're investigating the murder, the police get their hands on this lipstick camera. And that introduces us to Detective Janice Moss, played by Paula Newsom, who will be the police officer investigating the murder of Ryan Madison. Now, I didn't know anything about Paula Newsom going into this, and I looked her up and she doesn't seem to have like a big landmark role in her career so far. I could be wrong, but it seems like she would do appearances here and there or appear for a few episodes on this or that. But I really was just not familiar with her before the show. What about you? Uh, I was not either. So, but I think she does a really good job uh, throughout this, both in playing kind of a police officer, uh, even though I think she, she gets written. I, I think her character gets done a little dirty at the end and we'll get to that. But I think as, as a performance and in what she's trying to do and kind of the role that she has to play, because you're, you're actually rooting against her. Because you don't want her to catch Barry, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I I like her overall. I I also like the fact that uh, Barry's name is alliteration, just like Don Draper, just like Walter White. I am sure that was a conscious choice. And just like a million superheroes. Yes, Peter Parker, all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, so this is really about the theater group learning of Ryan's death and grieving. Sally decides we should do a talent show at a bar that Sally recommends and Barry's assigned to do a scene with Sally. What happens, though, is that the Chechens capture Barry and Fuchs. And really what they come to an agreement is that Barry's going to do another hit job for them and that will make peace. And they do this under the threat of murdering Fuchs because Barry doesn't want to do it. But once he hears like we're going to kill Fuchs, if you don't, he's like, OK, fine. So they keep Fuchs hostage and Barry's going to go and take care of that kill right away, right after Ryan's memorial, of course. So uh, the big thing that happens here is amongst this kind of talent show, all the theater people, is that Ryan's dad shows up. And this is really the first time Barry's ever seen the effects that his assassinations have on somebody. He sees the, the grieving father, and it really messes with his mind. And the scene that Sally decided to do was Doubt, which is an awful choice for a memorial. But she chose it because it's something her and Ryan did, and, and Barry decides to not go through with it. Uh, and he takes Sally's home, where unfortunately one of the the Chechnyans has followed Barry and takes a photograph with her. So now they've got her on their radar as Barry is sort of under their thumb, uh, and did that before going through the the assassination. But just a lot going on, and I think with with Barry here, where this is the first time he sees the real life ramifications of his of his murders. You know, it's a job; you, you do what you do, but usually he killed the person and you leave, and that's that. You don't ever get to see how it really affects the families. Yeah, and I think that this show is really interested in exploring the effects of um, doing this sort of work. I mean, it's actually invested in this idea. Again, even though it's partially a comedy, like there's going to be a lot of thinking about what Barry is going through and just what it means to not only be in the military, but to come back from wherever he was, Afghanistan. And then to have to continue to basically do the do military adjacent work because this is what he's good at. This is what he has been, uh, quote unquote, programmed to do. And Sally kind of gives off some uh, some Jillian Jacobs energy at times. I definitely got that vibe. 
uh, especially like this just very try hard thing. And of course, Sally would be the type of person who uh, would do would do the, a scene from Doubt at a memorial, which is just <laughs> very inappropriate tonally. And um, I, I, I was very curious to see how the scene would play out if they actually did it. So I'm almost disappointed that we didn't see it. But um, from a character perspective, it's uh, probably a good thing that they didn't because uh, that movie is very dark because it deals with child molestation. Yeah, it, it's incredibly dark. I actually saw like um, in my college town, a local theater did it and it, they did an awesome job uh, before seeing the movie. And yeah, it's it's a great play, but just in it was so inappropriate it's one of like what was i thinking kind of moments i think when her and barry are talking it out outside of the outside of the bar so yes would have been fun to watch but i think the characters made the right choice so I, what i really like is the beginning of episode three like barry's on lookout there's this gentleman named paco that he's looking to kill and he's told by hank to wait the Chechens are really big on theatrics. We come to learn throughout this season, and he and he wanted to send them like a like a DHL package or a FedEx with like a bullet in it as like a symbol. But you get this hilarious scene where like Barry has him in his crosshairs, and like Paco's just like standing in his driveway, like doing stretches and stuff. And it would have been such an easy kill, but he's been told by them to wait. And I think that's it was just so funny, just a great Hank uh, moment for him. And we and like Fuchs is still being held there, and they have this other assassin come in from the, the Chechnya mafia named Stovka, who is played by Larry Hankin, who plays old Joe, the junkyard owner in breaking bad. So there's another crossover with one of our shows. Um, and when he's alone with Fuchs in the, in the, in the garage, he kind of talks about how he's stuck and he wants out and he ends up blowing his own brains out, which, uh, Goron thinks that Fuchs did. And this kind of earns him the respect of Fuchs, of him. And so now we kind of have this relationship between Fuchs and him. And this gets Fuchs to talk them into working with the Chechenian mafia to take over a Bolivian stash house together. It's like all this stuff, the relationship with them and how it's evolved. And now Fuchs and uh, the Chechenians are working together in sync. And this is going to keep them in LA for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, by the time you get to episode three, like you have to find a way to naturally keep Barry and Fuchs around. And uh, that's kind of what this episode is establishing that, that there is going to be at least some sort of working relationship between uh, these two groups. And I am, I'm tremendously just, <laughs> just the idea of Fuchs actually killing someone is amusing to me because he is not that person at all. Like it's very clear that he always has other people doing his dirty work for him. And in a way, like some of the scenes that he has with Barry remind me a little bit of Jesse and Walter, just because it definitely feels like there's some gaslighting going on on Fuchs's part. And that he is con like, I do get the impression that he kind of does care for Barry, but I think the way that it manifests itself is with these various manipulations. And it's something that I think you see throughout the season, but I really did appreciate uh, just kind of the way that they're building through things. And, you know, once you get past the first episode, which is the pilot where you're kind of introducing everything in the second episode, you're settling down. Now it's, it's time to both expand the world and to kind of explore 
um, these other characters so that you can get invested in them. And I think they very clearly saw what they had in Hank, and that's why they kept him around after the uh, after the first episode. Because there is a scenario, Kevin, where you just kill him in the first episode, and you're none the wiser. But it's it's a good thing that they did not, because he is again he is uh, he's a treasure on this show. I mean, it, they talk about in Breaking Bad, like Jesse wasn't going to make it out of the first episode or, you know, the first season or whatever. And imagine just how different that show would be without him. So I think that's yeah. maybe the same scenario with Hank. They just saw what a gift he was and they said, well, we can't we can't kill this guy. No way. Nope, not a chance. So Janice finds the motive behind Ryan's murder and the connection to uh, Goron. And so she and her partner go into the theater class to question everyone about Ryan, which leads to a really fun montage of her in Jean's office questioning all the 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 people one by one and i love when they always ask like so what's your job oh i'm an actor and a bartender and i'm an actress well aspiring not really i was on this and that that was really fun and again uh, i think just a real thing where you fancy yourself for an actor and actress but when you're talking to a police officer you have to be pretty honest with yourself about what you really do for a living I can't imagine living in Los Angeles anyway, but can you imagine not being an actor? Like you have a stable position of employment in Los Angeles, like your police officer or your uh, teacher or something like that. And like everyone in LA is an actor. And I'm sure that you just have to deal with that as part of the culture. I, it would drive me insane. I don't know how Janice is not, Janice should be a lot more insane than she is for those reasons. <laughs> Quite truthfully, yeah, that's 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 a very good point. Uh, but yeah, that, definitely a like, different breed of person that she has to to go with here. And Sally does get an audition for a TV version of We Bought a Zoo, uh, but the lead actress in the show is a former co-star of hers from a failed television show, and this gets her really emotional. Sort of you're keeping up with the Joneses thing. You see a colleague who's so much more far advanced in your career than you do, which is really interesting for me to watch because I just listened to Paul Shear on Ron Funch's uh, podcast. And it always ends with like uh, a piece of advice for just, you know, general people and stuff. And what Paul Shear's advice was, was just keep your eyes on your own paper. Uh, you know, don't worry about what other people are doing. Make sure you're being the best version of yourself and you know, making making improvements on what your standard is and all that stuff. But I have to imagine when you're an actress and especially in the very specific situation, Sally, is that has to be so hard, especially when you're already having doubts about yourself and where your career is going to have this audition that doesn't go well because you're too emotional and you see where someone who is in the exact same position you are being the lead of a television series. It's got to be really heartbreaking for her. Well, and it is. It really, yeah, you feel the emotions and you just know that she really wants to to be successful as an actor really bad. And uh, you especially feel a lot of that insecurity. But I am endlessly amused by the idea of a TV version of We Bought a Zoo because it is just – it's funny in its own way, but it's also something that you could kind of see happening like we could come all the way around and be like, you know what? We bought a zoo could make a good TV show just because that's kind of where we're at. Even like, especially now, even more so than when this first aired, like I could see CBS being like, you know what? We're going to do a TV version of we bought a zoo. And uh, I think it works out really well. So just a very good job of, of picking the right IP to mine as a fake TV show. 
but also getting to explore uh, Sally as a character. Yeah, that, that is a really hilarious choice. So Barry finally gets the go-ahead to go through with the kill on Paco, but he misses his chance to do it with the sniper, so he has to go and choke him out in the house. And Sally invites him over because she's still emotional over the audition and seeing her partner be so advanced. And they end up sleeping together, literally and figuratively. And what I love is that the episode kind of ends with Barry daydreaming about going grocery shopping with Sally and realizes that, you know, that's the life he wants and wants to leave the hitman life behind. You know, for a lot of people, just going to the grocery store with your loved one is just like an every week activity. And it's but for him, it's an aspirational thing to just have this normal homebodied life with Sally there in L.A. And, and the, the day there's a lot of daydreams in the show that kind of show how Barry's aspirations of life are. And it's funny because it starts with something that's really normal, what have you. And then it gets more and more like bigger, just even in the next episode and stuff of what that life can be. So the daydreams are really funny to follow, but this is really when Barry realizes like, yes, I, I do want to leave my life of a hitman behind. And I think I can start a new life here in LA. And in 2020, Barry would have actually daydreamed about killing people in the grocery store. Probably. Yes. <laughs> I would say that's true, which uh, totally fair. I would totally understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's funny to me just watching this now, like just to think of where we are now. And like the idea of going to the grocery store is kind of repulsive now, just because you're dealing with people. You got to wear a mask. If you wear glasses, your glasses are going to fog up. Uh, You've got to deal with all these people. It's just kind of annoying. But uh, back in the wistful era of like 2017, 2018, uh, Barry is uh, is kind of is, is wistful for the potential of just going uh, to the grocery store with someone he is romantically interested in. So it's just it, this is a scene that's that plays a lot more interestingly with hindsight, but you could definitely see what they're going for, and I think it's uh, it's successful. Well, I'll tell you something that is also normal but kind of ill-advised at the beginning of episode four is Sally creates a Facebook page for Barry. Well-meaning, but for many reasons is something I would definitely not do now in 2021. So uh, so I, I, I really want to watch the, uh, the follow-up scene where Barry's like, have you ever heard of this guy called Ben Shapiro? He's got some really interesting ideas. Oh, no. You think he'd be a big QAnon guy? I don't know if he would quite go QAnon, but like Ben Shapiro is like right on the edge of it. Like that I could definitely see or like Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan isn't quite QAnon, but he's like he's right on the edge like this like Fox like not foe like smart guy who is just like he comes off like. Like trying to be smart, but he's really just the dumbest person in the world. I could see Barry. I could see Barry getting into that. You mean you don't get all of your news from a uh, comedian and MMA commentator? I um I don't think that's a very good idea, Kevin. Which is not. Which again is no knock on either of those professions, but that's not where I'm going to for my news and advice. Just I mean, saying. look, Joe Rogan is making millions of dollars as podcasting. And we're still here, Kevin. So what does that say about us? <laughs> it says, it, well, yeah, it says a lot more about the world than us, I think. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a successful podcaster, but when you're Joe Rogan and you're doing what you're doing, maybe it is a bit problematic. But we have we have completely digressed. And let's talk about fa- – no, we shouldn't talk about Facebook either. Please. Let's just get back into the show. Well, it is Facebook where he reconnects with an old military friend named Chris, which is going to become important later in this episode. 
But he doesn't like this idea of the Bolivian stash job, but because it's going to keep him in L.A., he agrees to it. And uh, he's doing this Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross performance in the theater class. And it's during this where Gene makes him realize that Barry always puts his desires aside to do what other people want, other people being Fuchs. And this encourages a, him to go tell Fuchs at a driving range that he isn't doing the stash house job. This is a great scene. He's just rambling on and on at Fuchs, who seems nonplussed by this and is just hitting golf balls and all that sort of stuff. Love the dynamic between Fuchs and Barry as Barry gets more bold as the series goes on. But Fuchs uh, always finds a way to reel him back in. Barry's boldness is really fascinating because I think he very clearly sees Fuchs as kind of a mentor figure and which is totally understandable. Like I get why that's the case, but you can slowly see like as Barry is interacting with other people and regardless of what you think of those other people, like just expanding your horizons slightly might make you get out of your bubble and see like maybe Fuchs isn't helpful. Maybe Fuchs is actually in fact bad for me. So I really like that dichotomy. And I look, Steven Root is one of those guys who just about has chemistry with everyone. And the fact that he and Bill Hader just have so many scenes together I'm sure Bill Hader just like, I'm sure that's why he cast him. It's like, so I'm going to do a TV show and I'm just going to cast Steven Root because I could do scenes with Steven Root. Like, why wouldn't you do that? If you had that kind of power, like if you gave me the power to cast someone in a role, like I would do the exact same thing. I would cast someone who I legitimately respect and like and could do scenes with. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Exactly. I, I would do the same thing if I was like someone in Bill Hader's role. I'd be like, you know what? I'd really like to act with uh, with uh, Milton from Office Space. Let's cast that guy. And the Fonz from from Happy Days, by the way, exactly. on a complete side note, isn't it ridiculous that Harry Winkler did not or Henry Winkler did not win an Emmy Award until this show? It is really remarkable because like. I feel like Arrested Development was kind of his career renaissance, and this role and these roles have a lot of parallels between the two of them. But it's really amazing to think about how, like, for one generation he's the Fonz, and a totally different generation he's hit the lawyer from Arrested Development, and now this show. What an what an amazing actor Henry Winkler really is. And he was the principal in Scream, which Scream at the time was was a huge deal, huge, huge. Yeah, so I mean, he's been he's been a part of a lot of pretty big cultural touchstones and you know look happy days is what it is but that show was a really big deal like 40 40 to 50 million people a week watched happy days just the idea that he did not win for playing the Fonz is insane to me yeah and i like i grew up watching it a lot of it on nick at night and stuff so like it's really remarkable how how huge that show was and like how henry winkler is the fact that he didn't get pigeonholed as similar roles or you know that he was able to evolve as he got older into these comedy roles. I'm even thinking like Waterboy, like say what you want about Adam Sandler and whatnot. He was great in that movie. So yeah, Henry yes. Winkler, Henry funny. Winkler, Henry Winkler in the Waterboy. I mean, it's, he's so, so good. <laughs> I mean, it's just for what that movie deserves. I mean, Henry Winkler just absolutely nails it up. Yeah. Him, him and Kathy Bates, man, like two people who probably shouldn't have been in that movie, but they crush it in their two roles. For Anyways, sure. let's talk about Henry Winkler in this episode. Does something that's uh, maybe not the best. He calls Janice saying he has a lead for Ryan, and it turns out to be a date in disguise, which Janet isn't into at first. She's all business, but Gene convinces her to stay, and she definitely gets more and more into it as the meal progresses. 
but she realized it's a really bad idea for her to be involved with Jean, but she can't help but be charmed. Maybe not the best intentions by Jean here. I mean, things kind of turn out okay, but given all the things that have happened in Hollywood and wrestling from our case and, and even the world of comedy, like it, it's, it's hard as as charming as Janice and Jean are together. Eventually it's hard not to wince at a scene like this, especially given what happens later in the episode. Yes, definitely. Which is uh, Sally has an audition and sees her possible potential agent ahead of time. And he makes an advance at her, which he shuts down and he brushes off as kidding until she gets the audition and realizes that, he called and told the casting director that he does not represent her and she loses the audition. And I just wrote Hollywood, everybody, after that. So, yeah, having these two in the same episode, not the greatest idea in hindsight. No, and this is – I remember this was a big deal when the episode came out because this was – if not right after this was as a lot of the me too stuff was starting to come out. So I do remember this scene specifically was being written about and thought about. And yeah, it's, it's a weird dichotomy to have these two things together. And I get why they wanted to put Jean and Janice together, but the way that they start out, it's, it's a little bit on the weird side. I, uh, I think from the show's perspective, I get, having Jean as kind of the the instigator of it but i actually think for the show to get away from some of the creepiness i almost think it would have been better if janice had initiated the contact and been more interested just because i think it would it would have been significantly less creepy yes i'd agree i think if if that dynamic had shifted it definitely would have had a way different tone and even just having the same episode like this episode is really heavy on that kind of stuff even the ending scene with barry and her at the party but they kind of get it all taken care of in one episode, which is also kind of good, too. But, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to digest with having those two things in the same episode as well. And I don't I don't mention a lot of other flashbacks, but this one is worth mentioning where he's daydreaming about them being engaged at their big plush estate. And John Hamm is a guest at a barbecue that he's throwing. The actual John Hamm is there. And it's not a big deal. I uh, I'm a big John Hamm guy, so you're you're not going to get any argument. If you want to put him in your TV show, then please do so. I it's it's always surprising to me that he's just been in a lot of comedies and has has gotten away from kind of the Don Draper persona, which I understand to a certain extent. But I I really just want to see John Hamm find the right role on a TV show or a movie, and just be a part of be a part of the conversation again because it feels like yes he was on Mad Men and yes he does his guest spots on 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt and things like that but it just it feels like he should have been a bigger deal yeah I guess that's true I kind of wonder why that is I don't know can you imagine just being engaged and John Hamm is there that's going to be a little intimidating especially with the uh the rumors you know, you know what I'm saying? True, right? true. Yes, I, I have heard the rumors. I, let's get those rumors confirmed, everybody. With <laughs> consent. With them. consent. Yes, we're not going to be like we're not going to be like Gene and trying to creep. Certainly not. Uh, but I, but I am curious. Anyways, so Natalie Darcy Carden's character has this party at her house, which uh, Barry goes to. Chris hits him up on Facebook wanting to go out to a bar, so he says, "Ah, just come to this party," uh, and. What Barry is freaked out about is Fuchs has followed him to the party and is now inside the house and more or less threatens to blow Barry's cover if he doesn't go through with the uh, the Bolivian stash house job. And so now he is stuck doing his assassin gig for now. 
that is kind of a really tense scene when he turns the corner and there's Fuchs in the house and you're just wondering like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? That Fuchs, uh, he's, uh, he's not a good person. That's, that is what is becoming increasingly obvious. And, uh, it pays off in a really great way as we get later into the season and just, uh, what Barry does to him. But yeah, at this point in episode four, you're kind of waiting for Barry to punch him in the face. Yes. Uh, which <laughs> great, great payoff for later. But yes, speaking of punching in the face, Chris comes and he also has these two meathead Marine friends with him who are causing the scene not being the most well behaved. And they encourage Barry to confront this actor, Zach Burroughs, who's talking to Sally to say, like, hey, man, he's chatting up your girl. So Barry does that. Sally rightfully is pissed, doesn't want to be treated like property. And she leaves, taking Zach Burroughs home. And one of the Marines named Taylor, when they're all leaving, notices this large wad of cash that Barry has the car. He's driving all this and Barry's driving him in his car. Taylor sees the the folder that Fuchs gave him for the Bolivian stash house plans and says he wants in. Uh, that's bad news. But also bad news is that the FBI finally cracked the dashboard cam. The, uh, and although the image is blurry, Janice is confident someone could identify whoever it is if they knew them. So big ending to this episode. This this Marine wants in on on Barry's assassin gigs and they've the FBI have unscrambled the lipstick camera. So a big, pretty big episode for the, se- the, the season, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're about halfway into the first episode of an eight of an eight episode season. So you kind of get the kind of have to get the plot moving. Uh, something that I tremendously appreciate about the dashboard camera is that the image is blurry and stays blurry. There's so many movies and TV shows where they do like the zoom in gimmick and like you can see like perfectly clear, like a license plate or who the person is. And that's just not realistic. So I appreciate the fact that they they can't identify who it is. And that, then the, that feels more realistic. And the next episode, they bring that up. Like Janice brings this in and they distributes the, the photo to the class. And they're like, well, why didn't you clear us up or do this? We see in this show or in this scene where that, that was the best. Like, well, in this scene, we just did this. And Janice just has to be like, that's not real. We can't do that. So yeah. Uh, I, I, f- I appreciate that the show is comedic and dramatic, but it also feels grounded to a certain extent. And I think when you have a show about assassins and the military's involved and you're incorporating actors to give it a feel of being grounded is really difficult. But I think that the show does a really good job, not just of mastering the tones, but also making the show feel like it's something like this, like this could happen. Like Sally could audition for we bought a zoo. Barry could find a friend over Facebook. Like these are things that actually happen. So I really appreciate that part. Yeah, I do too. And in this episode, Barry has another daydream about having a family with Sally, but in real life, Sally, after the party stuff, wants nothing to do with Barry until he handles his, quote, toxic masculinity issues. But the problem is, is now they're going to be seen partners in this Macbeth play that they're holding. And although that they can't see who it is in the photo, Janice recognizes the man's over six feet. So she interviews everybody in the class who is six feet tall or higher, including Barry. But fortunately, her and Fuchs have like this system set up where they can claim as witnesses and like these labeled cell phones with fake names. And we get to see some, uh, some problematic voice acting from Gene, but I couldn't help but laugh anyways. Oh, I'm sorry. Not Gene. Cause of, um, of, uh, Fuchs. Yeah. I mean, you get away with it because of who the actor is. Like you get a little bit more leeway depending on, um, who is saying the problematic lines and the fact that it's, uh, it's Steven root. I think 
it works it works much better than if you were to have even one of the younger actors do it intent is also important in the in the yes always like you can have a scene like the problem with uh with episode four like the scene with sally and her agent isn't problematic because they're specifically calling it out like they're calling out the behavior the reason that janice and Gene is problematic is because they're not like Gene is seen as, as kind of the hero of the scenario. Exactly. Yes. Like it, it turns out. Okay. So it's fine that he did this kind of thing. For sure. Yes. Uh, so Fuchs decides that, you know what, that Marine who knows what's going on, have him do the job with you. And then you take him out right after because he knows too much. You got to kill him. And so, and what I really love is this, like this scene is, it's it's a bit obvious to do this where they have a scene where through Macbeth they have this discussion over the morality of murder where Barry gets very defensive about following orders and he has an outburst in front of the class and Gene chalks that up to his military service and not his hitman life, which he doesn't know about. And it seems a bit on the nose to compare what him and Fuchs are doing to Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, but it's right there. You might as well use it, right? Yeah, I think you you would absolutely use that every Every, every single time. And I think that what what I love so much about these middle episodes is I think sometimes when you get into the middle episodes of a season, it can be it can sometimes feel like, oh, you're just you're killing time until you get to the big finale. But I was I was thoroughly engaged and consistently entertained with these middle episodes. And I would say that even episode five is of these four, I would say like between three, four, five, and six, like I think five is actually is kind of the strongest and the one that I was most engaged with of those four. And I think it's because it always feels like something is happening. It always feels like they're they're balancing that the comedy and the drama really well. And I also love the conflict that exists between Sally and Barry. Like Sally is calling out Barry for being for having toxic masculinity. The reality is that she has no idea how toxic he is, and it's only tangentially related to his masculinity. But I also love the fact that that Sally is again kind of kind of shallow and selfish. Like she is not this pixie dream girl. Like she has her own flaws, and I think that's really important for the show. Yes, I think it's important, and also like. Like when she uses the word toxic masculinity, it kind of makes you roll your eyes. It's like you saw this on an Instagram post and decided to incorporate it into your lexicon kind of thing. You know, like to sound smarter than you really are. Instead of saying like you have issues. Yeah, you know? I feel like if you're you're actually engaging in a conversation with someone, you're not going to say that they have toxic, toxic masculinity. Like that's just not something that you're going to say. Correct. Yes. But this is this is sadly we're talking about. A lot of things about her feel very manufactured in the way that L.A. is very manufactured. So, yeah, Sally, Sally is the type of person who really wants to just go to brunch now that Trump is in an office like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And when you see this more from Sally, when all the the entire theater group minus Barry's having drinks at the bar and they feel they feel really bad for having this conversation, not realizing Barry's military service and. Sally does not feel bad and feels like he should apologize. And this is when the group turns against her saying like, you know, your actions of late have been really selfish, like her taking Zach away from uh, Natalie's party, interrupting a scene of Natalie's to be critical of her and all this stuff. And Sally gets defensive, but the group is definitely right. The chorus 
gets to speak up and stand up for themselves, and that was much needed after the way that Sally has uh, has treated them. Definitely. Yeah, it was great. And then we get the scene itself with the, the hit on the stash house with Taylor and Barry, and it, it goes up being successful, and it's really Taylor who makes it successful because Barry gets knocked out by a gun. Like he, the butt of the gun is hitting his head, and he has a concussion. But Taylor is like your classic meathead maniac who like is gun crazy and shooting down all these people. And there's this moment where Taylor's taken all this money out of the stash house and Barry's behind him and he's has the opening to kill him. And then he returns to the hotel where him and Fuchs are staying and Fuchs is really not happy when Taylor's behind him and he couldn't go through with killing him. And so Taylor's now still involved in the scene for, I was going to say for better or worse, but it's definitely for worse. (laughs) Definitely for worse. So with episode six, we see that the, the the gentleman who's been following Barry around and taking pictures of uh, Sally and stuff is not authorized by the Chechnyans. He's someone who's kind of going out on his own because Barry killed his brother. And although they tell him to stop, he's not going to. Uh, and the next morning, Gene tells Janice uh, – and, and uh, I forgot to mention this. In the previous episode, Janice goes to Gene's house, uh, pounces on him. She stays the night. and So it's the next morning, and Gene wants – her to run away with him together, but she's not on board. And although she cleared all the theater students from being witnesses by the the conversation they before, she wasn't going to clear them because she still wanted to be connected to Gene. But after this conversation, she removes the theater students from the witness board. We don't really know what that's about at the time, uh, but it's interesting that Janice, even though you know, the first time she says, "Oh, it's not good to be connected with Gene," she goes to his house and they sleep together and. She still wants to be connected to him in some way. Yeah, not not being I mean, you never want to be connected to a gene on so many shows, this one and uh, Better Call Saul, too. So Gene is just it's a bad name, man. Bad name. Stay away from Gene. Stay away from genes. And you, you get this really funny thing where Fuchs is telling Barry, hey, you need to kill Taylor. And then Taylor's telling Barry, you need to kill Fuchs because <laughs> You, it's, it sounds like you want to be done with all these missions going your thing, and the only thing holding you back is Fuchs, so you should kill him. Uh, and he gets tired of all this. Like Taylor keeps constantly calling him about when's the next mission, and then so he eventually calls him and be like, hey, we have this we have this job to take out this Bolivian drug lord. We can't do a raid. We're, you're, no, you're off the job or whatever. And he thinks Taylor understands, but that is not the case. Uh, there's this this really uncomfortable scene with Barry and Sally at the theater where Gene's kind of making him say I love you to each other and trying to react appropriately. And it's just also very awkward, um, especially because they haven't patched things up as of yet. And Barry also apologizes to the class for his outburst, which is important. Um, and what happens more importantly even later was that uh, Vacha, who's the – or Vaca, the – the Chechenian who wants to kill Barry for killing his brother shows up at the theater. And the only people who are there are Sally and Gene. Cause Sally talks to and convinces Gene to have her play Macbeth in the, in the movie, but at the, or in the play. And at the same time, Janice shows up to reconcile with Gene and bumps into vodka and unbeknownst to Sally, who is blissfully unaware of her car celebrating that vodka was going to stab her until Janice chases him off and ultimately kills him. So there's that's a lot of uh, tense stuff in that theater scene with Sally, but it's just so funny to see like Janice and Vodka outside her car. She's just listening to like this girl power pump up song, texting her friends about being Macbeth in the play. Yeah, I think that this show does the tension really well. And again, I think that when you're talking about tone and whatnot, 
man, that's tough. It's it's tough to, on the one hand, have these comedic scenes and making people laugh, and oh, Hank's going to say something funny, or there's going to be a a funny improv. Like that's that's not easy to do. But then to get to like Breaking Bad levels of tension, uh, that's that's something that I think is very admirable, and I think it speaks to the quality of the writing, but it also speaks to the quality of the direction. And most of the episodes are directed by Hader, by Alec Herg, or Berg, as well as uh, Hiro Morai. So, just a great job all around. Most definitely. Uh, so, what happens is earlier in the day. Barry goes to Taylor's house uh, to talk to him. This is before he's off the job. And he has like half the money he stole from the Bolivian stash house, which Barry doesn't want to take because it's dirty. But while Barry's in the bathroom, he takes he takes his backpack. He takes out uh, Gene's book that was given to Barry by uh, Ryan. And he also takes out something else and he puts half of the cash in there. And so when Barry gets to the theater and realizes the cash is there, he decides to hide it in the ceiling tiles in the men's room. And the police find the money during a sweep, which kind of upsets Janice, realizing there's a tie between all this crime stuff and the theater itself. And then although uh, Barry told Taylor he was off the mission, he shows up at the hotel with the other Marine from the party named Vaughn and Chris to assist in the airstrip attack. And Taylor says that, uh, you know, hey, I read Gene's book and the line about making the unsafe choice really spoke to him and said it changed his life. And so instead of going up on the hill to snipe these people away, they're going to bum rush the airstrip now. And this causes both Chris and Vaughn to get shot as soon as they get there because the plane's already landed and they sweep off the side of the road. And that's the way the episode ends. So. Again, showing the character difference of the, these guys are just meatheads. Reading the book really spoke to to him in the wrong way, and it cost them their lives. But this is one heck of an ending to an episode. This is the best ending to an episode for the entire season, just because it's so dramatic. And I could not click, even though I knew what happened, I couldn't click on next enough just because this was like, I mean, you know Barry's not going to die, but it is a dramatic way uh, to end an episode and uh, just a really great cliffhanger. And, uh, you know, I think episode six, I think it gets a little too busy at times, but I think that ending just the way that they're able to bring it all together and you introduce the Bolivians at the end, really good stuff. Just a, just a fantastic ending to an episode and a great setup for uh, the final two. So episode seven actually begins with the other side of the shooting where you see the Bolivians, shooting them up and all this other stuff. And Christabel, who's the Bolivian drug lord, calls war on, on Goron and the Chechnyans over like the most polite mafia call ever. Cause he was like, Hey man, if you want our stash house, we could have, could have worked together and shared, but you didn't. And I got to kill your men. And this really makes Goron mad because Fuchs kind of sold them uh, a bad bill of goods on who the Bolivians were when they turned out to be so polite. But based on the call and hearing about two military men being dead, Hank thinks that Barry is dead and tells this to Fuchs. And Goron also wants Hank to kill Fuchs as he believes that, you know, he was being misled when discussing the Bolivians. This call between Christabel and Goron is like one of my favorite things in the whole series, to be honest with you. I'm so curious about that scene, specifically whether it was improv or how much of that was in the script, just because it felt very natural. And I love the way that 
The show is able to go dark, but it presents a very different version of what it means to be a drug lord. And not necessarily one that we've seen a lot because everybody's kind of pleasant to each other. And that's not something that you're used to. Like, they're still going to kill people. But I love the idea that that this could have all been ended if they had just talked to each other. And I feel like that that is an anthem for our time. So people just need to talk more to each other. Less killing, more more talking. The world might be a better place if that were the case. Well, the FBI get this call, and when Janice hears military individuals are, were involved, she remembers Barry, and that really catches her attention. Then they make the connection to Taylor, and inside his home they find both an identical amount of cash to the amount they found stashed inside the theater and Gene's book with Ryan Madison's name inside. So there's your connection to everything. Uh, Barry and Chris had escaped the shooting, and Chris has to end up killing one of the Bolivians because they find Barry because the cell phone goes off. And Chris is so shaken up by killing the man that later he and Barry are in a car together and Chris says he wants to just confess to the cops, uh, get it off his chest. And this gets them into a heated argument where he basically tells Barry he doesn't care what happens when he confesses. And you could slowly see like Chris inside his head really is like, "Uh oh, I said that I'm alone in this car with a hitman and nobody knows where I am. And so he really starts to backtrack and says, you know what? I changed my mind. I can keep my mouth shut. But Barry has no choice but to kill him and frames it as a suicide. And you could tell this this really messes with Barry not only later in the in the episode, but he's telling him, he's like, why did you have to say that stuff? Like almost kind of like blaming him. Like if you didn't say this, I wouldn't have to do this. But now that you did, I have to. And it's it's a hard scene to watch. I guess I can't classify it as my favorite scene because it is very, very dark. But it is such a well-executed dramatic scene, and both of the actors do a tremendous job. And you know, Chris is in a in a really tough spot just because, like, he didn't have a relationship with Barry um, until he friended him on Facebook, and now this decision basically has led to him dying. Like, he's dead because of they started friendships on their friendship on Facebook again, which I feel like is a lesson in its own right. Don't find people on Facebook that you used to know. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. It'll lead to, it'll lead to your death and people thinking you committed suicide, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great scene. And, uh, they, they really kind of this, I think this show really does do a good job of scratching kind of the breaking bad itch because of the way that they set the tension up and just their scene, just the way that it escalates ever so slowly to the point where, you know, Chris is going to die about halfway through. And it's just a matter of saying one more thing. And then he says it. And yeah, it's um, it's a tough scene, but it's one that I think is one of the best of the series. I think what what you're trying to do with a show like this and trying to separate yourself from the landscape is to be able to to have great characters and great scenes like this and uh this is a really good one yeah and what what i love is that it leads to what i what i i mean this scene's amazing but i think the final scene in this episode is so awesome uh because barry it, it's the same night as the macbeth play that uh that this, this that he asked that he just killed Chris, who is going from that directly to the theater, and he's obviously so shaken up. He has just one line he has to perform, and he's late. And Sally's freaking out because she invited this agent named Gersh to show up, and for her the performance is huge because she wants to impress and be signed on by him. And as Barry's in the theater waiting to say his line, he has these images of shooting Chris in his head, and not only that, but now that he's experienced what he did with Ryan and his father. 
Now he's having images of the phone call of his wife that he receives being told that Chris is dead and and his daughter coming into the room to the crying mother and then scenes of the funeral and all this is going through his head and it makes him very uh, angry and sorrowful. And he finally emerges on stage and he is just so tearful. He gives his one line and this emotion kind of transfers to Sally in her final part of the play and she crushes it and it gets this agent's attention because you see a lot of time as the acting is going on, the agent's kind of looking at his cell phone and this gives him pause. He puts the cell phone down and he watches Sally and Barry has this fit post play where he like punches glass, uh, which is hilarious because Gene is trying to talk to him being like, man, whatever you did to get to that place, like you did incredible. Um, and Sally ends up getting the business card from from Gersh and she thanks Barry with a kiss on the cheek and says that whatever you did tonight, that should be your process from now on. And such a powerful scene, like what maybe like the best acting that we see from uh, uh, from. Uh, from Bill Hader in this in this series in the season, it's so incredible. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the episode that should have won him an Emmy. Just, I mean, the scene with Chris is really good, but I think he individually is even better uh, in that scene because of the way that the anger manifests, and it's not just anger, but it manifests itself with tears and sadness as well. And I love that he doesn't overplay it, like. There's no, no, like one of those cliche scenes. He doesn't do that, but instead it's, it's a little more muted. Uh, yeah, I just, I love this scene so much and this episode so much and what it, what it does for Barry and, uh, what it does for Sally, because it really sets Sally up in a, in a positive light. And I love the moment when, uh, when Gene sees something on stage and like, something clicks and it's a, it's a great moment because I think that's what acting and that's what, that's what even like sometimes when you watch wrestling, sometimes like sometimes you'll watch something and it'll just like something in a moment just clicks and everybody like realizes it at the same time. And that's uh that is kind of the magic of live theater and uh, live performance in general. It's like when something works or something clicks, the energy, you can just feel it in the entire room. Yeah, and I think that's like what keeps people attracted to those, to to theater and, or wrestling or whatever else. It's like when you get that moment, you keep watching just in case there's another one of those moments. And yeah, when it works, man, it's the best. And that's what you got here with, with Barry and Sally at the end of the episode. And that would have actually been like a pretty solid finale but no we still have one more episode to go here and this is the cathartic moment where barry does finally punch fuchs in the face fuchs is happy to see that barry's still alive but barry punches him in the face takes his money and says i'm i'm done like this is truly it i am done now and fuchs delivers the news to the chechnians but instead of killing barry like fuchs suggests goran is prepared to kill fuchs and hank is a. Uh, Hank's really fond of Barry now. Like they've kind of in Hank's mind, they've developed this friendship. So he's telling Barry of this and says that, <clears throat> Oh, by the way, my, they're going to be coming to the, your acting class for you. So you should make yourself scarce. Uh, and what Barry ends up doing is he comes to Fuchs's rescue, killing Goron and the other Chechnyans in the garage, but not Hank. He's not there. And Barry ends up dropping Fuchs off at the Bob Hope airport and reiterates once again, that he's done. So it goes to show the relationship he has with Fuchs is even though he wants 
to be professionally done with him and never speak to him again. I still think there is that bond with, uh, you know, familial ties to his dad. And he's sort of been like a father to him and been through his life so much that he couldn't stand by with the knowledge that he was going to be killed and let that happen. Yeah. I mean, he just wants to be done with this life and also maybe making sure that Fuchs is not there anymore. Is one of the clean is in, in in a way even a cleaner break than just straight up murdering him. So I really I I think that this relationship is the one that we kind of see from beginning to end, and I think it works out really well. And uh, I'm glad that they are keeping Fuchs around. I kind of thought he might have been a one and done too, but uh, I'm glad that this is something that they will continue to explore in season two and hopefully uh, beyond. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a really it's a really fascinating uh, scene because you do see the the kind of mentor mentee relationship, but you also see that Barry is done, and I love the running gag of him saying that he is going to start living his good life starting now, and he does it. Uh, it's the rule of three, right? He does it three times in this episode, and it just gets funnier and funnier every time, especially on a rewatch. Yeah, it's it's interesting because he wants to move on, but he can't because obviously he doesn't want to go to jail or, you know, whatever else for doing all the things he did. So just these moments keep coming up where he has to continue killing. And it's like, OK, now I'm going to be put behind. And I, I don't know that it's that easy for the life of a hitman to just be able to do that and, and run. But you got to really make sure that everyone's gone from the situation and keeping their mouth shut. But I love also that. The FBI get the warrant to arrest Goron and they go to the house and they find everybody dead and Hank sees them first before the FBI arrives. And I love that Hank kind of cracks a smile. He's like, ah, this is Barry's doing. And they're like, oh, we uh, they're definitely coming for us. We got to go. I just love that he that he's not mad. He he admires Barry and his work so much that it brings him joy when he sees that they're dead. God, you just love Hank. (laughs) Yes, I can't I can't imagine a scenario where I don't love Hank. So the thing for the FBI, though, is when they find them and they kind of realize that, oh, the shooters would have come from here and been this height or whatever. They put the blame in the Bolivians and it kind of wraps up everything nicely. And they have this um, this news report where they determine that Ryan was the ringleader of a crime operation with uh, Taylor as his partner who put the Bolivians and the Chechnyans at war with one another. And then we see at the Bolivian stash house, Hank, the, the Chechnyans and Bolivians who now have this relationship all celebrating together. Uh, so it's kind of it's good for them to have this case closed and thinking they're at war when now they're partners and they have this stash house together. Inter- interesting to see how they're they're putting these ties together, but it works. It kind of wraps up everything for everybody, but uh, doesn't work that way necessarily for for Janice. But more on that later. But I just like seeing Hank and everybody at the at the stash house working together. It was it was just fun for some reason. I, I, I do like the fact that it is kind of a clean ending to the story that they were telling. Um, you know, they kind of cleared the board a little bit and now you have this new dynamic with the Bolivians and the Czechians working together. I really like that. I really like the fact that this is the direction that they're going in because I think a lot of other shows, uh, they would have had them continue to fight and continue to be at war. But, um, because it's this show, uh, they're going to be very just pleasant towards each other and, you know, they're going to, they're going to break bread and have barbecues and whatnot. So. I uh, I really like I really like the first half. It it very much felt like the first half of this episode was just kind of wrapping things up, and then what are they going to do in the second half? And as soon as I saw 
uh, that they were in the woods, and it was the four of them isolated, Kevin. My spidey sense was tingling. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, oh boy, somebody. I didn't know if it was going to be Janice or Sally, but I knew one of them was a goner. Yeah, yeah. So that's what happens in the back half is Barry's going to leave, I guess, leave this life behind. But Sally convinced him to stay and says that she wants them to star in a co- uh, comedy together. And how how is he going to say no to this? The woman that he wants to be with wants him to stick around and do this theater class like that. That's the life he's wanted. And now it seems like he can have it. I but really that, want that poster because yes. Peter's face <laughs> on that poster is genuinely one of the funniest things that I've seen. Oh, his faces are amazing. Like they have that one scene in one of the beginning of the episodes where like him and Sally are doing like body exercises to loosen up. And it, it's just an excuse. He Bill Hader make funny faces. But yeah, I mean, his face on that poster, it's like amazing. Sally's trying to be like super serious, but <laughs> Perry just has no idea what to do. It's uh, so, so great. he has no idea what to do with his hands. <laughs> then we jump ahead a few weeks later. Sally and Barry are now dating and they have joined Jean and Janice at Jean's country home. Kind of interesting that he can afford a country home, but I digress. And Janice uh, here learns both that Barry's using the stage name Barry Block because she tried searching Barry on Facebook earlier by his real name and couldn't find him. And Gene brings up the monologue he delivered in the parking lot episode one about being a hitman. And things get really awkward because Janice is starting to think stage name, hitman, quote, monologue. Huh, that's that's sort of interesting. So much so that in the middle of the night, she goes by the docks and on her laptop investigates Barry Block on Facebook. That's when she connects Barry to Chris and then to Taylor. And with that, she's looking at the photo from the lipstick camera. And in her head, she get the line where she says, if somebody knew who this man was, they'd be able to discern it was him. And now that she knows Barry, she knows it's him looking at the picture and putting these connections together. And just then Barry shows up. He more or less confesses and pretty much begs her not to pursue the case any further, stating, you know, I did what I had to do in order to move on, but I'm done. But Janice obviously can't do that. And I'm glad she didn't not pursue it because that's I don't think that would be very believable for someone in her line of work, even if it would cost her her relationship with Gene or what have you. And so she is basically perp walking Barry up to the car and says, like, you know, I'm going to cuff you and arrest you. And we see Barry's had a gun hidden on a tree. And we get a visual from inside the house of Sally in her bedroom sleeping as we hear and see kind of the flash of gunshots going off outside. And so you don't know what's happening. But then the next morning, Barry quietly creeps back into the bedroom, takes a shower, gets back in bed with Sally. And that's when he says, starting now to end the episode. So. We don't see it, but we know what's happened, and now Barry's saying, okay, now I'm going to start my life of not being a killer, and that is one heck of a way to end season one, and again, this, there's been great cliffhangers all season long, so no doubt they were going to do a great one ending this season, and that's a, that's season one of Barry for you, but yeah, amazing way to end I can't believe that after that scene, when they have him starting now, I end the episode by laughing. I can't believe that they, the, the fact that they got that from me, the fact that they got a laugh from me in that last moment is just a testament to uh, how good uh, Bill Hader is because like he just has kind of a look of distress, but then he like smiles kind of, and he's like starting now. And it just, Oh, it's perfect. Kevin. I love the ending. Just chef's kiss. Like, yeah. If this, if this had been the ending of the series, if they, if this was a one and done, I would have said beautiful ending. Don't, you don't need you don't need to follow up like this actually would have been a good ending to a one season show. 
Totally. And and now you're wondering like, okay, well, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when, uh, when, when, um, Gene wakes up when Sally wakes up now, what's coming next. And there's, I'm, I'm so excited for us to delve into season two next month, but man, like I knew I liked this show, but rewatching season one, like it's even better than I remembered. And I don't know if how many people in general have seen it, but if you're somebody who's still doing the good thing and stay, even if things are being lifted and mandated and all that, you're staying home as much as you can. And you haven't give Barry a watch. Man, I really recommend it. I mean, this first season's what four hours in total, so it's not going to be a huge yeah, time commitment. But it's, it's 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 an eight hour commitment, and I think it's well worth it. And there is going to be a third season coming. I'm hoping that that third season comes on in the fall. I'm kind of hoping that we get the third season in the fall and the fourth season in the spring slash summer. But we'll we'll see about that. Uh, something else that I really am greatly amused by is. Just thinking about the logistics of what Janice is doing. So so Janice is in this in this scenario where she is alone with a hitman and she she clearly has some knowledge about what Barry has done or is doing, right? So she knows that he has killed a lot of people. She knows that he is a professional at this, that he's really good, that he's going to have he's going to have things planned out. Like even if he's not in the life anymore, he's still going to have a gun hanging from a tree. So she decides to have him back up by herself. She is trying to do this in the middle of the woods where it's completely isolated and where he clearly knows these woods better than she does. And she is going to, uh, like, what did she think was going to happen? I mean, it's just, for dramatic purposes, it works, of course. And it, it does not hurt the episode. But just from a character perspective, it uh, it doesn't make Janice look very intelligent that she decided to do this. And maybe it's a meta-commentary on how cops are stupid. Maybe that's what they're going for. Janice would have been uh, far better off just, like, faking her way through it and then getting a fucking SWAT team and... Uh, arresting Barry like when he's back home in his underwear and not around guns. I think she maybe thought that because he was on a vacation with his girlfriend stuff that he was going to be off his guard and not prepared, but maybe she should have known better. I don't know. Or maybe she didn't expect Barry to approach her in the middle of the night and just thought like, okay, I'm gonna do my research. I know what's going on and I'll, I'll take care of this when I can. I mean, fair enough. I think that's a fair enough point. You're also in the moment, and you're just trying to figure out like what is the the best possible solution. But not a not not her finest hour. And I I do appreciate the fact that they did not did they did not show her being killed. I think that especially because they had this really violent scene uh, in episode seven where he just like shoots a bunch of people and you see blood squirting everywhere. So that was, that was kind of gross. And I, I do appreciate the fact that they, they restrain themselves in this moment. And um, I'm sure there are some people who may have even thought that Janice was alive and wasn't dead. Yeah. I think that's kind of the classic. If you don't see it, don't, it's not a guarantee. Don't see someone die. I, I, I am presumptuous that she is, she is in fact. Coleman. Right. So, I mean, I feel silly to ask your overall thoughts on season one. I thought this was home run. Super excited to get into season two next month. Uh, this is a championship level season. And I think that I think where season one is most successful is just in the way that they are able to balance the tones. And if they don't balance the tone right, like if it's too jokey, then I think the show could almost be disregarded if the show doesn't have the dramatic aspects to it 
then I think it's it's just kind of like you're veering into like Zack Snyder, Mark Millar, like Guy Ritchie territory where it's just people exchanging jokes. But the show has a heart to it. It has a soul. And uh, that's why it works. It's uh, it's a really, really good show. Um, I don't know where I would rank it like as far as favorite shows, but this is definitely one that I know when it comes back for season three. I know that I'm going to watch the episodes as they happen on Sunday nights. Absolutely. And so we'll talk about season two next month. But in the meantime, Jerome, where can we find you on social media? What other stuff on this fine website uh, do you have that people can listen to? Uh, so I so we are banking these episodes and I am currently on a break from podcasting. So uh, go back into the archives. Uh, Brian and I have been doing a bunch of superhero pantheon stuff. You could go back and listen to our reviews of Hancock, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, we talked about the first season of Invincible, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, as well as WandaVision. So you can go back and check that out. Uh, go back into the archives and listen to Kevin and I talk about Veronica Mars, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and Halt and Catch Fire. We did some of our longest podcasting about Halt and Catch Fire. And funny enough, that is why we decided to do Barry, because we knew that these shows would not take nearly as long. Certainly, yeah. It's been really fun to do it. So this is a really good choice, sort of like a nice decompress. I know it's funny to say about a show about a hitman and stuff. Uh, so yeah, listen to all that stuff. You could also listen to my Lost podcast I did with Ben Lundy and my Adventure Time podcast I did with Brad Groon and Justin Houston. We had a new episode come out. We discussed together again the third installment of Adventure Time Distant Lands that dropped on HBO Max. So if you listen to everything else but not that, go listen to that and uh, all the other fun things on EntertheRealWorld.com. Had a lot of fun watching Matt Waters' uh, weekendly uh, watch through of Batman the Animated Series. So go read those if you haven't done that either. Yes, and- please. Uh, Batman the Animated Series is great, and you should read those. And go read his Marvel Mondays because he decided to do Marvel Mondays for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not WandaVision. Maybe he should have rethought that. That was a choice that he made. <laughs> that that was a choice that, that Matt Waters made. And I know he and Ben will be uh, going back into the podcasting booth and – uh, doing uh, there will be there will be movies for the 1990s, and I'm very excited Ooh. to see uh, what they come up with as far as uh, their 25 favorite 90s movies. I've uh, I've seen their list, I've seen kind of their working list, and uh, I'm very excited for it. Interesting, I have not, so that'll be a lot of fun too. Well, Kevin, you you got you got to know people, you know. I, yeah, I hear you, I hear you, or you got to care. That too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Buzzing. Uh, I guess you can also follow me on Twitter at K413 if you want. But uh, in the meantime, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month to discuss Barry Season 2. You know, every time you said the word Hitman, I did not make a Bret Hart joke. And for that, Kevin, you should be grateful.